Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. By exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. Pragmatic is supported by patrons. If you'd like to support the show, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash johnchidgey, or one word. I'm your host, John Chidgey, and today I'm joined by Dave Chartier. How you doing, Dave? Doing real good, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Anytime. The reason that I wanted to um, get you on specifically was um, both you and I, I think, in a, it's reasonable enough to say, have been pretty re- relatively heavily involved with um, with the Fediverse for the last little while. Um, so just sort of, just uh, if you want to start, start, just tell me about how you got involved with the Fediverse and, and, and where you are in that. So I got involved probably a little bit under a year ago at this point, and it's... I've been one of the people who's been growing frustrated with the, you know, the major social networks like Twitter and Facebook, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm really upset with their leadership. The people listening to this have probably been following the news, but they've been running a lot of abusive practices. There've been a lot of scandals. You don't have to look very hard to, to learn about them. And I, I don't, I'm upset with the way that they're running things and I don't see much evidence that they're going to change or that they're listening to the core complaints that a lot of people have. And so there was one of the many Twitter scandals that happened sometime last year or one of the changes that they made to a feature, something other user hostile that they did. And it started getting around on Twitter like, hey, if you're looking for an alternative, there's this thing called Mastodon and it works like Twitter, but it's open source and people can run their own servers and it's an interconnected group of communities, etc. And we'll probably talk a little more about that in a bit but i mm-hmm. i liked that idea i love the idea of an alternative it was finally like an out or at least a reprieve from <laughs> from dealing with this mm. constant barrage of awfulness and so i signed up and started learning what i could and i found that it really clicked with some of my my values and and where i hope community management can eventually go okay excellent so um you joined an existing uh, instance i think uh you didn't stand up your own Yes, I, I joined an existing instance. Like a lot of people, I joined Mastodon.social in the beginning because that was mm-hmm. and still is a very uh, public one. But once I started learning more about Mastodon and such and, and understanding it, you know, it's this group of interconnected communities, I decided to, to find a, a different one. There's nothing wrong with Mastodon.social. It's still great. Join it if you if you can and you don't know where to uh, get started with Mastodon. Um, but I, I uh, joined one called uh, uh, Cafe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's where I've been for most of the time since. Cool. All right. So uh, on my side, I have actually we I did a record episode a, episode eighty actually of uh, of Pragmatic to talk specifically about Mastodon and 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 all of that um, previously. But the thing that I really wanted to focus on uh, as part of uh, so if, if listeners want to know about my history on Mastodon, then go back have a listen to that one. Um, and uh, to be honest, I've since switched to Pluroma, which I'll talk about a little bit as well uh, later. But um, I wanted to focus on one particular thing, and that's the the, the f- free open so- source software or FOSS uh, nature of uh, of social networking, and because it's sort of grown beyond just uh, Mastodon at this point, and um, I think that 
the way that they're that that's being approached, and not just that, we'll also we'll talk a little bit about Miski and um, we'll talk about PixelFed as well, um, and just look at how this is evolving because this space is evolving and it's it's fascinating to be a part of it and to watch it happening. So, um, to sort of start a little bit about about Foss, I um, I did a little bit more digging into this because it's not something that I spend a lot of time, you know. Uh, dwelling on because my 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 job, job as they say, is not developing uh, open source software. <laughs> but um, it sort of stands. Um, it seems to have stemmed from Richard Stallman, and um, and he said uh, that there were four essential freedoms with uh, with free open source software. So, uh, have you heard of these four things? I've heard I've heard of this phrase. I'm not familiar with what they are. Okay, so let's just step through it, um, and this is the majority of the research I've done. <laughs> it's pretty simple, though. Um, so, in order to have these, in order for something in his, okay, according to Richard Dorman, in in order for something to be FOSS, it must uh, you must ha- allow the user to run the program as you wish for any purpose. Is the first one uh, to study how the program works and change it so it does your computing as you wish. That's an interesting one. You um, in order, you also need to be able to redistribute copies, and you need to distribute copies of your modified versions to others, essentially contributing to the community. Mm. So the funny thing about number two and number four, like studying how the program works and distributing copies of your modified versions, that essentially puts that in the realm of software developers, and you need complete access to the source code in order to do the second and the fourth. Right, and. Yeah, and it's kind of I find that to be sort of uh, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit interesting. If you're just an average everyday user and I want to get on a social network, two and four don't matter to me and don't involve me. So it's really only your ability to distribute copies. But you wouldn't because there's already copies on the server. Um, and to run the program as you wish for any purpose, uh, I guess is really the only one that applies to the average person. So the other three really are more about developers that are doing development on the software. Hmm. Okay, so. It's an interesting take, and um, one of the things that I find interesting about that we'll, we'll get to a little bit later is the attitudes of some of these developers that those four freedoms that he outlines uh, drive some interesting behaviors, and I'm not entirely sure I like all of them, but in any case. So we'll keep that in the back of our minds and um, talk a bit more about Mastodon, uh, I guess. In the end, I don't want to revisit all the history of, 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 of how Mastodon got to where it is. Again, I gave a good overview of that previously, but... In terms of the developer, um, the developer is uh, a guy called Eugen uh, Rocco. I think it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. I hope it's pronounced correctly, yeah. I think so. Uh, in any case, yeah. And uh, he's, uh, he's a German. I think he's 24, 25 years old. <laughs> and um, he, yeah, and he's, um, he's a prolific developer. He, he really has pushed uh, Mastodon very, very quickly forward with lots and lots and lots of features. And it's interesting because I found that there's a lot of people – um, I mean, I, I'm very impressed with how many features he's added, but he also cops a bit of criticism for not taking on other people's um, uh, merge requests and 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 feature requests. And there's some criticism of some of the underlying, uh, like distributed deletions and so on that I, that I see come being thrown at him from time to time. But you can't argue with the fact um, that it's been highly successful because currently, I just checked before we recorded this. Currently, two thousand six hundred and thirty-one instances. Of Mastodon globally, wow, and that yeah, that's huge. And obviously, the active user count is always open for debate, but it's more than a million. Um, so it is by far and away the most popular, um, you know, federated social network that there is. 
Last I saw, I th- I thought it had cleared uh, two million and was getting closer to three. It might well have, actually. You you it might well have. Uh, my my the drama I have with that is that there's registered users and then there's um active users, and I you know I know it's a little bit of a funny line, but um because I've also heard similar accusations thrown at Twitter. So like they'll inflate there. Oh, we've got how many three hundred million users or whatever it is. Oh right. And it turns out that yeah, like two hundred million have never tweeted or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, it is growing significantly, and certainly um, the original when originally when it launches, a lot of people were prognosticating and saying it's not going to last, it's not going to make it, it's going to fail, um, and it's it was more than a million not that long ago, and if it's crossed two million, then I'm not surprised, and I don't think it is going to die anytime soon. So, the thing that's interesting for me about Mastodon because I hosted my own instance is how heavy it is. Um, in terms of what you have to install, you have to install Rails, Postgres, Redis, Sidekick, Node.js, Ooh. and Elasticsearch in order to have a functional instance. Yeah, it's really, really heavy. You need like two to four gig of RAM in a, on a virtual private server. You'll need a reasonable amount of storage and, and a reasonable number of CPUs. It's uh, it's pretty heavy. That said, it is by far and away the, the most fully featured, I think, uh, of all of them. So the next one I want to talk about, though, is MissKey. Have you come across MissKey at all? That I haven't. I wanted to ask you about that. I see it in the notes here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Miski is driven by one person. Uh, and Miski is driven by uh, a gentleman from Japan. And he's 21 years old. And his name, I, and I hope I don't mangle this, is um, Sulio. And it's actually, it also supports the, the same standard that Mastodon does, which is ActivityPub. And it's built, again, using Node.js and Postgres and Redis and Elasticsearch. Uh, but that's it. It doesn't have anything else. So it is lighter than Mastodon, but it is still, you know, still not insignificant. Uh, and it's built, and obviously anything with Node, you've got to throw in Node Package Manager or Yarn or something like that. Um, so it's not as lightweight as some of those things. You do need to use package managers, but it's not as it's not as big, anywhere near as big. It's, there's only 62 instances, and the largest instances are in Japan. And if you log into Miski and create an account... Yeah, you know, it's almost entirely in in uh, in Japanese, but there are more instances outside Japan that are opening up. And as you might, may expect, um, if you know, you're familiar with Japanese culture and and uh, the way they like to use technology, um, it is very heavy on the emojis. There's lots of anime. There's lots of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a very yeah, it's got a very Japanese feel to it. And uh, and I've got to be honest, I kind of like it. Uh, it's actually got some interesting features in it, like the full import and export. They call them notes. They don't call them um, toots, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, and um, be- yeah, and it's it's actually kind of nice. So if you haven't haven't looked at it, just have a look. But I mean, it's, uh, it's. I just wanted to mention it because it's one of the top three in terms of the most popular uh, of, I suppose, what I'd call. Hmm, I don't know. Short, short, uh, short message social media. Like micro-blogging, micro short message kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So not quite micro-blog, like, because the thing is with micro-blog, like something like um, Manton Reese's micro.blog, for example, is uh, is designed more for longer-form uh, posts as well as short ones, sort of a bit of both. Um, whereas these ones are more meant for shorter, I think. Yeah, our choices are, are certainly getting interesting. Um, and just before we move on a little too much farther, I remember... When you mentioned how Miski is very heavy on like emoji and and sharing content that way, I remember very early on. Uh, I hope your audience knows that I've worked a lot in the in the Apple space. I probably should have talked about that earlier, but 
a lot of my career started when the iPhone came out. And uh, I remember back in the day before it had gone to a lot of other countries and continents, there was a lot of talk about how it you cannot get a phone into Japan without emoji. And it didn't have emoji back then. This is around, I don't know, at least iPhone OS 2 or 3 before it became iOS. Mm. And there were rumors that this weird emoji, you know, little tiny icon keyboard was coming. And a lot of people here where I live in the West didn't really get it at the time. And, you know, I'd started doing a little bit of research into it. And that was basically in the mobile industry. That was basically the rule of thumb. Like if you want to get a phone into Japan and it doesn't have it doesn't support emoji, forget about it. Just don't even bother. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And um, no, I actually, I do remember that as well. And I'll be honest, um, a long time ago, when I had um, Casey Liss on an episode of an, a podcast I don't make anymore called Tangential. And we talked about that. Um, uh, it was that with uh, Joe um, Rosenstiel as well. And uh, I, I really struggled to get my head around emoji for the longest time. And uh, <laughs> it's sort of, yeah, it's uh, it, it's taken a while, but um Okay, I use five, maybe six. <laughs> I'm not a heavy emoji have guy. You, but... Have you gotten your head around the fact that there is, uh, I forget the exact name of it, but there's some kind of like international emoji standards body? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard of <laughs> They needed to be. I mean, because <laughs> one of the things that's interesting is it's just everyone has their own emoji for different things and and sometimes they release ones that look like bagels and then people start debating if it actually looks like a bagel or not. I'm like, oh my goodness, really? <laughs> so, um, but yes, standardized emojis. Yes, excellent. My One of my very tiny claims to fame, not to completely derail us, but one of my very tiny little personal achievements, I would say, is uh, I've, I'm a bourbon person. I like my whiskey. And they introduced like... I think there was always a, a beer mug and then they introduced like two an emoji of like two beers clinking together. And I'd, I'd started railing on social media and like making jokes about how there's no whiskey emoji and that we're being oppressed and mm. they're being, uh, you know, discriminatory in their types of, of drink, you know, emoji mm. options. Oh, for sure. And this someone from the board, I'm, I'm so bad. I hope he doesn't listen to this show because I'm blanking on his name now. Jared or Jordan something. <laughs> He basically works on the board and he DM'd me a long time ago saying, hey, look at the next new body of emoji that we're thinking about ratifying. And uh, one of them, you know, you might particularly appreciate. And I will cite you as a little bit of the inspiration. There are others, many others, but you are a part of the inspiration for me trying to get that into this next release of emoji. So I played a very tiny nice. part in that whiskey emoji coming to life. <laughs> Well, thank you for the inspiration behind the whiskey emoji. Um, that's awesome. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you on that. I'm not a beer drinker. So um, so yeah, the, whis the whiskey emoji speaks more to me as well for that, uh, for sure. But um, so yes, emoji. Awesome. And some of these are uh, actually interesting in point is that uh, some of these will allow you to import custom emoji sets as well. So if that's your sort of thing, then you can do that. So you're not stuck with whatever ships out of the box with, uh, I'm pretty sure, but Mastodon, Miski and Plurama all support custom uh, emoji. Yep. Uh, I'm pretty sure they do, which is also very cool. So you're not stuck with whatever Facebook or Twitter or Instagram gives you. You can do a whole lot more with it, which is really great. So, all right. Okay. So that was Miski. Um, I think worth mentioning because it's uh, the third largest. But the one that I left, um, the third one on the list, but it probably should have been the second really is Pleroma. Uh, Pleroma um, globally, again, just check before we started recording, 575 instances. So it's somewhere between the two, between Mastodon and Miski. And unlike the other two, this is more developed as a collaborative team effort. 
And um, I've been following both. Um, well, there's two two main developers that I that that are quite vocal on social media. One of them is a guy called Lane, who's extremely privacy conscious and doesn't actually I don't actually know his real name. Um, and then the other one is uh, Kaini, uh, K-A-I-I-N-I. I don't know if that's how I pronounce it or not, but in any case. Um, and he in particular is extremely vocal and uh, doesn't mind sharing what he's thinking about all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I kind of <laughs> follow him on and off. Um, he, he's, an, he's an interesting individual, that's for sure. Uh, now, to run it on a server is very, very different. It's extremely lightweight and it's intended to be lightweight. You can run it on a Raspberry Pi, um, which is impressive. And Jeez. essentially it runs, yeah, I know. Um, and it runs on uh, using Elixir and uh, Postgres. And that's pretty much it. So uh, in my case, I actually run my own uh, server engineered.space and that's running. It's the VPS. It's a KVM VPS. It's only got 10 gig of solid state drive space, uh, one gig of RAM, runs CentOS 7, and it cost me $15 US a year. So. Oh my gosh. Wow. I know. Pretty cheap. Um, I'm not. I know. So I'm. I'm thoroughly impressed by that, especially when you compare it with Mastodon, which was choking. It, it, Mastodon wouldn't run on a VPS of that size. It just wouldn't. It, it'd collapse, um, even for a single user instance, which is what mine is. So, uh, and obviously, if you want to run more than that, like if you want to have a hundred users or two hundred users, you'd want to get a bigger server than that. You know. Okay, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, so that it sounds like when you were. You can run that as like a single user instance, basically, just for yourself. Yes, exactly. Okay. So one of the attractions for me, yeah, and, and one of the attractions for me has been, uh, I want to have one handle, like an email address or whatever else that I keep at, you know, forever. And you know that may well be somewhat optimistic. In fact, I think it's probably very optimistic considering how many email addresses I've had in the last twenty five years. I've had an email address. <laughs> um, so I kind of, because mm, my current email address that I've got that is my primary email address, I've had it for about 12 years uh, as my Apple one um, that I got oh, that's back a good in while me days. Yeah, it's not that- bad. But <laughs> um, prior prior to that, um, I had one at Hotmail and that was, you know, and I ditched that once um, Microsoft bought it and then changed it to Outlook. And I say ditched, I mean, I'm, I still got it, but I forwarded the emails onto my new new email address. But the thing that's, that's interesting is that... Um, between Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, they're all different usernames and it's really annoying. So if you say, you know, if you get in early on a new platform, this is what I, you know, other people tell you, so, oh, you get in early on a new platform and you stake your username claim. So you can always be, oh, I'm at John Chigi at every single platform you can imagine. And it's like, that's that gets so tiring after about the dozenth platform. And I wanted to have an instance where I owned the domain, I owned my Basically, I owned my address as it was. So, um, you know, at chigi at engineer.space, I've been on that address now for the last two and a half years. I mean, mind you, now I have to pay for that domain for the rest of my life if I want to keep it. Right. It's not an expensive domain, but there's that. And running a single user instance, I've got to run that for the rest of my life. So, and then also the, the flip side of that is that, you know, I've been on Twitter at John Chigi on Twitter since 2009, and that's 10 years now. So, I don't know. Some of it is just me being a little bit, you know, control freak, I guess. There's also a conversation to be had here about the permanence of of this content, right? Because mm. some people approach, especially this type, these types of of short posts. This um, I want to call it just micro blogging, just for the uh, the sake, uh, since that word was around for a while. These tiny, you know, character limited posts. 
you know, I've, I've seen this rise, especially after like Snapchat and these very uh, short lived content services. Uh, I see a bunch of Twitter people who are running some kind of a bot or an automated service that deletes everything after a week or a few days or what have you. The idea being, you know, we're here talking. I've heard it explained as we're sitting around talking around like a water cooler. Like this is a giant, you know, sort of public party. Just about anybody's invited, except for a few instances we don't need to name at the moment. And uh, what we say here is in the here and now, and it doesn't need to be here enshrined for all of eternity. Mm. And so I've seen people not care about what domain that it's at, or if they move from Twitter to Mastodon or switch Mastodon instances, I don't need to bring all my posts along and import them. It doesn't matter. Just know where I went if you care about me and what I'm posting or whatever. So that that can kind of become its own conversation by itself. Oh, for sure. Of how much do you care about the permanence of this this content? Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I um I was vaguely aware that some people were doing that. I haven't I I, I must admit I, I haven't paid enough attention to that recently on on Twitter, but uh, I have seen a few people mentioning it and it's uh it's an interesting idea. Um I don't know, I guess yeah, it's an it's an interesting perspective. From from my from what I'm sort of thinking about though is more about well, here's an address you can get you can attract my attention. Like if you need to get a hold of me, this is how you do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 I guess the flip side of that is well, I already have an email account, so why wouldn't I just give out my email account? Oh, I don't want to get spam, but I'm doing the same thing now for social media. So, <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm de- I'm debunking my own argument. I'm very good at that. I think. Anyway. So something that that I think might help a little bit, especially with myself, but also I hope some of your listeners, so I'm not getting too remedial here, but I understand the basic concepts of like ActivityPub, that all these services are are basically running on like a central core standard for exchanging posts and information. So, you know, just to lay the groundwork here, like eventually once PixelFed gets to, you know, sort of like an MVP or like the the actual federated concept you could follow someone's pixel-fed photo sharing from your Mastodon account. Like, let's say you don't want to join pixel-fed, you don't care about sharing photos, but you like seeing photos from someone else. The idea, as I understand it, is you could find, you could search for them on Mastodon. You could search for that pixel-fed account on Mastodon and follow it, even though you don't have a pixel-fed account, right? Absolutely right, and uh, and that's a really good point. We should probably just pause and talk a little bit about that as well. So yeah, I mean, ActivityPub is a standard that it sort of followed on a little bit from OStatus, which was the prior standard that Mastodon supported. Um, and uh, ActivityPub really is, in some respects, it's um, it's a little bit of a loose standard uh, in some technical dimensions, which really causes some frustration for some of the app developers and some of the some of the um, the server developers, server side software developers. Um, because it does leave a little bit of room for interpretation. But in the, ver- the very basics, it'll, it'll cover off things like uh, if I want to subscribe um, from, to, to a particular user, how do I go about that? So like a local follow or a remote follow. And there's a handshaking procedure that has to go on between that. You can like, so, so someone who may have a private account may say, well, I'm only going to accept this remote follow uh, if I approve it and so on and so forth. So it talks about the interaction uh, between the different, say you've got actors and I think it's objects off the top of my head. And um, 
when you create a post, anyone that then is a remote follower or a local follower will get a message saying, yes, this is now, you know, there's a new status for you to uh, to, to capture. And it'll periodically go between the servers and it'll say, well, my account on this server, it's, it, every every so often it'll check to un- ask the other servers that subscribe to these different people, hey, have there been any uh, new activities published? Uh, hence the name Activity Pub, I think. But um and it'll collate that as a timeline, and then your application or the web web the web app, if it, if that's what it is, when you log into your Mastodon account or your Plurama account or Miski account, um, it'll simply see, hey, um, what what have I missed? And it'll just pull that into the app, and away you go. It's really not that much different from Twitter. It's just that the difference is that Twitter hides that level of abstraction behind a single domain. So it's everything's at, at twitter.com, and the reality is that. Um, they've got dozens of servers, probably hundreds all around the world doing more or less the same kind of thing. It's just that this is abstracted away and the point is that you now have an individual server that's owned by an individual or a group. Right. And so you can you know, create an account on that server and, and it all just works. And the great thing about ActivityPub is that in theory, you can have an ActivityPub client, which works exactly the way you described, which would be uh, I can, on my clients, use ActivityPub as a protocol to extract all of the information from all of those users that are following and construct a timeline. Uh, And it should work between anything that supports ActivityPub, and that could be pixel-fed, or it could be Plurama, or it could be Mastodon, doesn't matter. But the truth is, and this is one of the interesting things about where we're at with the Fediverse at the moment, is that so far as I'm aware, there are no client apps of any significance, that is to say of any adoption, uh, that actually do that. They all use an API, and the API that they use is the Mastodon V1 API. So... So, you know what I mean? It's kind, of, it's kind of a bit interesting because hmm. one of the things that's happened is that because Mastodon got biggest first, all the apps support the Mastodon V1 API. So, um, for example, Toot um, uses, um, as does Mast, as does Amarok, they all use the, the V1 API. And um, that's how they get the, uh, the status updates and everything. And the server does the activity pub in the background, but the clients don't. Interesting. That, that might get... <clears throat> so now I'm curious because like, you know, that's the most popular one. So if you're trying to build an app, you know, I'd, I'd imagine it makes business sense to try and go with the most popular activity pub community, you know, the largest group of people who are, are you know, getting together and talking to each other. But I, I wonder if, you know, if this gets to a, a proper critical mass, if it would make sense to rework that and turn those apps into... <sighs> Turn those apps into an ActivityPub client under the hood, but most people we we touched on this a little bit earlier about like what regular users would and wouldn't care about. Like most people, once they get on board with this idea of like, oh, I can follow photos from PixelFed or micro posts from Mastodon or Pleroma or whatever other um, type of of these ActivityPub apps where you can publish as long as you want. Like I can follow whatever I want in this single app that kind of becomes sort of a, a social inbox, uh, as it were. Um, it might make sense for those developers eventually to rework it under the hood and go that route. But right now, like, you know, it, as unfortunate as it might be, it might just not make business sense for them at the end of the day. And I know we're also talking about FOSS. So those two things might be, uh, um, in conflict. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that they are partly in conflict and that's not helping things. In any case, the whole idea of each of these different silos is because is, this is one of the things that, that I, I, you know, a friend of mine at work asked me this question because I, you know, keep on going on about it, is why on earth would you um, 
you know, what, what's the value proposition for pixel fed versus um, Mastodon, you know, versus right as, for example. And I'm throwing right as in there because right as is, uh, is actually more like micro.blog. It's kind of like a blog. It's like a blogging platform. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had much to look at? Uh, have you had- yeah, that's a great analogy. Mm. Right. Uh, but right as is totally freeform, right? Like you could write a yes. 4,000 word essay, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You could. And, and that's exactly what they want you to do. Back to something you were bringing up, though, your coworker who is is asking what's what's the point between these these three different mm. services, and I've got, yeah, I have two different thoughts in my head about that. One is at the core to me, it's about constraints, and what I mean by that is is we can use an analogy that that probably many of our listeners are more familiar with is, uh, you know, we can create an analogy for each of these services. Instagram is a lot like PixelFed. Right, they're they're specifically photo sharing platforms. You can write text too, but that's sort of the, if anything, that's the afterthought. You can't post text to Instagram without a photo, right? Mike uh, Mastodon is probably is a lot like Twitter, right? Same thing, very short posts. There's yep. a character limit. It has it's a slightly longer limit, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. There's no text formatting. There's no bold italics. Nothing. Short text messages. You can also post photos. And, and other types of files. I would analogize, is that a word? Analogize? Um, I figure. Let's go with it. Besides a word. <laughs> I figure write as is a lot like WordPress. So each of these services have some kind of a constraint or some type of a core problem or goal that they're trying to help you with. And so I think it comes down to where you like to write and publish things. I've met people who don't understand how anyone uses Twitter. They and this is even after the character they lifted the character limit up to 280. You know, they're just like I I couldn't write anything in in 280 characters like that just wouldn't work for me. You know, they mm-hmm. need yep. a longer format, so they use WordPress or or whatever they they work with. Mm-hmm. And so constraint is the the idea that I come back with come back to because my wife uh, being an, an English teacher, I remember she taught me something very early on. She used to be an English teacher, is not anymore. But people, people love constraints. They don't think they do. Like, if you ask most people, they'll be like, no, this is terrible. I want to do whatever I want. Da, 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 da. But we actually thrive mm. under constraint. And there's that, there's a saying, uh, constraint breeds creativity, something like that. I might be goofing yes. that up. Yep, yep. So, no, no, no. I think that's it. That, that's like the core value of each of those services to me. Do you want to post photos? Do you want to write short, quippy things? Or do you want to have a, a, a blank, endless canvas to, to write whatever you want as long as you want. Um, look, I just I think that's a really good, uh, really good way of describing it. And it's like uh, it's like what's the what's the core functionality? What's the core feature of of the service? And for Pixel Fed and Instagram, it, you're right. It's posting photos. So I want to post photos. Where do I go? I go to Instagram. You know, and if I want to do a short, you know, I think in the biz they, they call it posting but you know whatever <laughs> if you want to go on, yep. I do, I don't know I don't know um, but never mind that. Um, you know, if I want to do a post like that, then I would just go to like Mastodon or Pleroma or, or Twitter, I guess, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, if I'm going to, um, you know, write, write a longer form article about my opinion of what Apple did with their latest cheese grater hole, well, that's great. Um, I'm going to do that on Write As, let's say, or maybe on WordPress or my own blog, you know, whatever it might be. And it's, uh, it's like the best tool for the job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And each one is optimized for that. So if I'm logging into PixelFed, it's optimized to look at photos. If I log into Write As, it's optimized for you know a nice font, nice reading layout. And 
the ability to look at it all in the one app then creates the problem, which is actually, it's a good thing, but it is a bad thing. So if I've got an app like Toot, which is an excellent app for, you know, just, just going through a timeline, um, it's not as, not as pretty as something like Pixel Fed. And it's not as optimized hmm. for reading long form articles. So, for example, I, I love using Unread and un, as an RSS reader. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good app. Because you know, I'm, I'm an RSS kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a great app. It's fantastic. I love it. And uh, the thing is about that is that that's, that's optimized for a reading experience. It's almost um, the best possible way, in my opinion, is reading it on the iPad interface. But reading it on the iPhone as well is quite good. So it's it's really good at that. And it takes up um, the max amount of space. It's got re- re- highly readable fonts. Uh, and the way in which it's the, the scrolling and, and the segregation between the posts slash, you know, you know, articles, however you want to think about it, has been optimized for that longer form reading experience. But if you put all of that into one app that can read everything, it's going to end up being a compromise for something. And whether you want to be precious about that or not, I mean, I don't know. But from my point of view, the ability to then choose which app you want to use for what is the ultimate in choice. Because right now, you want to look at Twitter, you're going to use a Twitter app. I mean, I mean, okay, I know there's Tweetbot and there's, and there's Twitterific, but I mean, Twitter is crippling those. Every year, it cripples them some more to the point at which they're going to become, mm-hmm. they're already missing out on a whole bunch of features and functionality, which is horrible and frustrating because they never were that. They were never so hamstrung previously, and now they are. So, And Facebook's always been like that. There's no other way to look at Facebook. Go to the website, go to their app, and just deal with it. And it's like, well... With ActivityPub, you don't have to do that. The best app can win, which is awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm I'm coming because you you you're absolutely right. Like, and I've always been a person who is, I've always been weary of like a, a one thing that can do all of the tools. Like, I've always been an app person, like right tool for the right job. I don't put everything in like a spreadsheet. You know, I'll use a variety of, of apps for storing that that kind of information, tools, whatever you want to call them. But there's one that I wonder if I wonder if there is an option that could work well or something that can serve as a good example, which might be Tumblr. Because Tumblr, the way that I'm I'm thinking about it right now, and I'm kind of just, you know, doing this on the fly, but Tumblr had that concept of post whatever type of stuff you want will design a good viewing experience for I don't want to say just anything you want but they have like what maybe six maybe eight different post types right links photos mm-hmm. text posts yeah. galleries videos uh, quotes you know and so I wonder if there is an opportunity for these tools even if it's in an in, in individual activity pub tool like Mastodon Pleroma mm-hmm. or if it's an app designed to read all this stuff where they could go yeah, I understand what a photo post from uh, PixelFed should look like. I understand what a long-form post from WriteAs should look like, and I can mm-hmm. treat each of these things differently. I wonder if that could be an option for them. I'm sure it would be a lot more work. I am not a developer. I don't. Uh, I absolutely don't mean to be coming in here and saying, "Oh, it should be easy." You know, you should bang that out in a couple weekends. Um, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> that's absolutely not what I'm trying to do. But. Um, that being the goal of ActivityPub, I I wonder if that would be one of the solutions, at least for end users, is understand that there's all different types of content here, and and maybe we can play to at least you know the largest ones that we can capably, uh, that we could responsibly treat right. I think there's definitely room for that, and I think one of the things that I I'm this is one of the things I wanted to sort of like um make sure we talk about 
uh, with 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 FOSS and what drives those behaviors is what I'm what I'm getting the sense of is that um, when back in the back in the before time with Twitter, for example, <laughs> when um, the APIs and third party developers were their friends and they're like, you know, hey, um, here's an API, knock yourself out. Um, have a great time. We love you. It's all wonderful and roses <laughs> yep. and rainbows and stuff. Yep. You know, back in those days. And it's like you would get different takes on how you should ingest certain things. Um, and, you know, famously things like pull to refresh, you know, came from some of that. Oh, um, yeah. You know, you know, and it's like some some really great creativity. And individual companies made, uh, I think, a reasonable amount of money from it because in the end there was a motivation to do that. There was a lot of users, a lot of interest, uh, and that drove that development. Now, on the FOSS side of things, if we want to be strictly speaking, you know, um, you know, developing open source software, uh, and you know, to be fully open source, many uh, companies will not fully open source their software for you know commercial reasons because they don't want someone to just come in and clone their app and then put it in the app store for cheaper and then basically steal all their customers, which has happened and does happen regularly. So. As long as that's a competing objective, is it really in their best interests to be fully open source? And I think the majority of companies are going to say, well, no, we're not going to do that. Um, and therefore, they're going to be, to some extent, shunned by the rest of the, uh, of the open source you know, community that are involved in the social, in, uh, in the social, develop, social network development in FOSS. And um, so I, I tend to think that if you want to actually see movement, move the needle, as they say, in this space, then you need to make sure that you're encouraging as many people as possible, whether they are genuinely fully open source or not, uh, to bring their best ideas to the table. If they're a paid app, if they're a free app, it doesn't bother me. I will pay for a good app if it's a good app. If it's solid and reliable and does what I need, I don't mind paying for it. Um, in fact, you know, how else do you encourage uh, people to continue to do more of that? Is It's, you know, apart from, you know, out of boy, you're doing a great job. It's like you know, and <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, through the through the goodness of their heart. Yeah, and 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 I realize now it's a borderline between you know capitalism, anti-capitalism, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But the point is that um, I am very grateful that there are developers, you know, like Eugene Rocco, you know, like Cerulio, like um, you know the the uh, Pleroma team, and of course uh, Dan. Uh, developing uh, pixel fed dance up mm-hmm. you know he it's like i'm so grateful that they exist and i have contributed to some of their patreons from time to time and it's like i want them to succeed but at the same time there's a limit um to how much they can succeed and how much they're motivated and they're driven by their own self-motivation and their belief in that uh, end result and sometimes that doesn't drive an end result and move the needle as quickly as you could have if you're a bit more open to it's okay to have paid apps. He will help you with this. Um, you know, here's a here's a a standard API we're going to push, or we're going to invest more time in developing ActivityPub as a standard, or or what, whatever that looks like. You know, right, right. And and to me, that's a little bit frustrating because I feel like we should be further along than we are, and it's almost like that which created this ecosystem to an extent is is now starting to hold it back to an in a different in a different way, which is just interesting to me. Yeah, it's. I've actually I've thought about this problem from a, I think a similar angle, and I haven't been able to to put it in that clear of context. But it is it is an interesting problem, and I'm not as involved in the open source community to have people to bounce some of these ideas off of. So I have no idea how uh, 
welcome or feasible any of of some of the ideas that I've I've kicked around about it. But one thing I've always thought is, like you brought up, it comes down to a lot of the people working on these projects have to have a day job, right? We live exactly as as unfortunate as uh, I have I have grown to start agreeing. Um, you have a day job, you have bills, you you need to to get that money, pay the bills, support the family, hopefully have some kind of a lifestyle that you enjoy. And so a lot of these projects are are worked on on the side. So like what if what if there was some kind of a I don't know, community or or social endowment for these things. Mm. Um I realize this is very pie in the sky, but uh let me know if I'm I'm getting too far off the deep end here, but one thing I've wondered is Personally, to me, one of the things that drives my interest, that drove my interest in Mastodon uh, and and the greater Fediverse and Activity Pub is I've grown to really prefer it as a way to organize online communities. I like the idea that I can yeah. find an instance of, uh, you know, I'm really into video games. I didn't join a video game specific uh, uh, instance in the beginning, but let's say I did. You know, I, I found my people, right? And we can decide who we interact with, which other instances we we uh, deal with. And, and most Mastodon instances, and I would imagine Pleroma as well, are are open. You talk to everybody unless, you know, they kind of turn into terrible people, um, like, uh, like some of the Nazi instances popping up. Um, I really like that mm. approach because that's the way that we generally manage our communities in real life, I feel. You know, you have your yeah. your family, your neighborhood, your local people that you know. You decide which other neighborhoods you want to work with or who you want to help out in the city to build a thing or whatever. It, it feels much more organic that way to me. And so I've been thinking, what if there was some kind of, I don't know if, if it's a social pot or if it's some type of organization that we donate to, but there's ways for, example, in the real world, well, off the internet, I should say, for uh, nonprofit organizations to work and hire employees and build the things that they do, whether it's a shelter or providing food or advocating for a cause or putting on events, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's donated or it comes from the city in the form of uh, uh, grants, tax money, whatever. I wonder if something like that might be able to help. Like what if there was an organization, for example, just to try and bring things back down a little bit smaller that, we could donate to maybe a portion of our tax dollars went to or or something that could hire people to build the Mastodon and Activity Pub and Pleroma and Pixel Fed protocols. Build these systems, mm. these underlying foundations that provide this data, allow people to exchange things. And then on top of it, people can do whatever they want. If you want to build an open source Pleroma or Mastodon tool or app or whatever on top of it you want it to be open source and that thing only interacts with that information as open source so you only want to talk to open other open source people fine but the protocol the underlying infrastructure is built and run and provided by the people one way or the other i think that's an yeah i know it's a little uh it's a little out there but no i think that how we how we fund um FOSS to make sure that this this con development continues and, and activity pub and so on. There's a bunch of different funding models that um, there doesn't seem to be one that everyone agrees is the right way to go. Um, for example, Eugen uh, gets his funding from uh, Patreon, and I forget what his Patreon is. It's 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 significant per month, and um, 
and even that, you know, is is a struggle. So someone like Dan, for example, Dan Sup for uh, PixelFed, um, he, he said, you know, publicly many times, look, you know, he, he greatly appreciates all of the the donations and everything on on Patreon on the support, but he still needs a job, a JIB job, in order to survive. So. Uh, one of the reasons that PixelFed, I think, has taken so long has been because he's doing effectively two jobs and he's doing one he's being paid really well for, which is, you know, his JRB job. Uh, I say really well in air quotes. I mean, significantly better than the Patreon is for PixelFed. Um, and that's what he needs to survive. And and then, you know, the, the, the PixelFed stuff is his second job, which he's then doing, you know, because he loves doing it. Um, but obviously, there's a limit to how much time he can spend on that. And so... Um, you know, how you fund these things. And, and it's like, here's another problem is that if you have too many large contributors, then they can steer the direction of a, of a product. And yeah, look, I, I like the idea of a community fund. And I think that if people are actually doing, and, and maybe we should just talk a little bit about this as well, is that, you know, standing up your own instance of whatever it might be, whether it's pixel fed, Mastodon, Pluroma, Miski, doesn't matter, uh, right as you can stand up your own. Other people will stand up ones that they want to. And if you join their instance, I don't think it's, I think it's perfectly fair and reasonable, kind of analogous to app.net, for those that remember app.net. You know, it's okay to, I would say to pay, you know, one or $2 a month, something to put towards their hosting costs. Some of these places will actually tell you what their hosting costs are. And I think that if we want to take take advantage of their server and, and use it, um, then that we should be okay to pay for just for the running costs at least. Uh, and then hopefully if there's enough support through those avenues, some of that money can get funneled back into the development of ActivityPub as well. So I sort of, I hope that maybe the way to do this is to uh, anyone that does have an instance that, that is utilizing the software, um, they cover their costs with that and anything extra goes back into a bucket of money that goes into furthering developing the uh, the standards. But again, that's all that's all very, you know, maybe a little bit pie in the sky, but yeah, I, I do think that I don't want to see this sort of stuff die, uh, but at the same time, I want to see it move forward and it, it's a tough problem to solve. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, I do thank Patreon for, I, I think they're playing a very large key role here because like you said, uh, Eugen's Patreon, I, I haven't looked at it in a while either, but it's it's a decent chunk of money and last I heard, he hired at least one or two uh, moderators because he runs the main, well, I shouldn't say main, but he runs the Mastodon.social instance, which by far is the largest of the, let's say, general community. And that that becomes, you know, <laughs> that even becomes its, its own separate conversation, right? Because one of the goals of these projects and ActivityPub in general is to not have one large dominant entity. In fact, I've watched Eugen struggle with closing... Um, uh, signups for his instance off and on over the last over the last year because he 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 agrees with that idea he he doesn't like having such a large instance from a management standpoint because he is still just one person with with a mod or two that he's he's paying they're they're at least paid mods mm-hmm. but also yeah. I th- I think it still comes back to this this community aspect the whole idea is to build our own little communities that talk to each other much like we work in the real world. And both from a social and also a technical perspective, those are much easier to handle, right? Fewer users means fewer re- server resources. You're, you and your community are paying you know, pennies, maybe dollars versus tens, if not hundreds of dollars with the really, really big instances that are, are chewing up a lot of bandwidth and, and space. And so- No, I f- for sure, absolutely, yeah. 
how do you how do you fund all these tiny little communities, but also the advancement of the protocol on top of them? It's like this this onion of of uh, goals and then problems and then hopes for mm. building something of this scale. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the thing is that people forget. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But you know, Twitter and Facebook are um, you know they're feeding you like a timeline that is uh, as algorithmically determined. Which I, I also talked with uh, Seth Clifford about a, f- a few episodes ago, uh, and like late last year, and it was um, a- and they're doing that to drive reaction, and they're driving ads to fund all of the people to do the moderation and to pay their server costs and everything, and. And when you take all of that away and you're actually getting a genuine timeline um, unmodified and you're getting uh, – and uh, unless you're actually going to financially support the people running them, they are just running them out of their own uh, hip pocket and their own um, sense of I want to do this and therefore so long as I want to do this, it's all good. But as soon as they don't and they have other bills to pay, then the wheels fall off, instances will fall over and and that's that. So – I guess that sort of leads us into the one another thing I wanted to discuss quickly is just the the pros and cons of people that want to stand up their own instance like I've been crazy and I've gone and done that um, versus joining others and because obviously of the costs but it's also the moderation so there's the, there's the physical cost as well as the I would say the cost to your time so in my case I stood up a single user instance um, the second time around the first time around when I did Mastodon originally engineer.space um, was actually a Mastodon instance initially and uh, because Pluroma just wasn't there yet, and also I hadn't heard of that, uh, heard about it at that point, there's another reason not to stand one up because I didn't know it existed. But anyway, uh, that yes. Yeah, so um, and I invited people to to, uh, to join, and I sent out limited invites, and I had maybe about eight or nine people on there. And what I found is that all but two of them, other than myself, so it was basically three of us were active on there, and essentially the two of us were two out of the three were the most active. And um, what I found was that I would you know, take the the instance down to do an upgrade and there'd be a problem and then I'd have to go to work. And then I realized that when I got home that night, the site had actually been down for like 12 hours and then I'd get an email from one of the guys saying, hey, the website's down. I'm like, oh, okay. So, of course, when I thought about it, having a multi-user instance, you have to be mindful of the, the impact of downtime to all the other users that are using it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know what they're going to upload. They could upload huge images or huge videos or, or whatever because you can put limits on it, obviously, but if they if the limit's like five meg for a photo and they upload 100 photos, there's nothing stopping them from doing that and that would seem to be fair use. But at the same time, then you are probably going to have to account for the fact that you could run out of disk space. So you've got to keep an eye on that and then you've got to make sure that other people have expectations about... Um, yeah, if, if all my data disappears tomorrow, it's not the end of the world to me, but that doesn't mean it's not the end of the world for someone else. So someone else could be there using your instance and ha- years and years of, of, of tweets, toots, what have you, history, and then suddenly your server dies for whatever reason, just dies and you've lost everything. And they're going to be very upset with you because they, they were trusting you that you'd be doing that. Right? It's like, where's my, where's my Twitter archive or equivalent of my Twitter archive? I can't get it anymore. And so you sort of take that on as a responsibility as well. So you need to stand up your instance, make sure there's plenty of space, make sure there's good uptime. Um, it's got to be you know backed up, and so that you can give people uh, their backups if it happens, if they, if they need it. And and that's just the the mechanics of doing it. The next problem is the moderation piece, which you, which you touched on. Just to circle back to that, is that moderation is a big job because once your instance gets to a certain size 
you're going to have people join that you know may or may not be have nefarious intent. Uh, they may be uh, just think it is it's perfectly okay to um, post something horribly distaste that you find horribly distasteful. And if other people then say, "Well, I'm flagging this for moderation," someone's some moderators got to look at that and say and make a judgment call. And then it comes down to right. Well, what's my usage policy? Right. Is this fair use? Is this not? And then you end up being the policeman, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to start now spending a few hours a day uh, moder- moderating my instance. And so that's now cost on your time. And so all of that boils down to, well, you know, if you're in the case of you, Jen Rocker, you've got enough money coming in, you can pay someone to moderate. But a lot of people, their instances aren't going to make that kind of money. So they'll be moderating themselves. Uh, and it could be, there could be a delay. I mean, let's say you're working a JRB job and you're expected to moderate your instance. Someone puts up something that's absolutely horrific. Uh, and right. it's offending lots of people and, and that reflects poorly on you. Why didn't you take that down within five minutes? Mm-hmm. And so we, we have a go at Twitter. It's like, how come you didn't ban this person? They were inciting violence or they're doing whatever, whatever. And, and their stuff's up there for a week. It's like, well, they've got a whole team and I'm going to judge them on the fact that they're a company. They've got a team. They've got strict guidelines. They should have done it. And now on, on the Fediverse, the expectation is the same. Of, of individuals like we would expect oh how come that hasn't been pulled down in the first five ten minutes and it's like well because it's one person they're not funded and they're doing it in their own spare time and there there's even a number of layers there too one that comes to mind is from what i've been following in in this fediverse and, and activity pub conversation is this is one of the reasons why they believe in having lots and lots of small little communities that talk together so in a way, it works kind of like email. Email has been one of the really good analogies that's worked for me on explaining the general overview to other people. Like I'm, I have my own email server on my own domain, but you use Gmail and someone else uses, you know, Yahoo or whatever. We, we can all email each other. You know, they, they talk to each other. It's fine. So one, one advantage of having all those little small communities is that it's, from a community organization standpoint, because this is part of what I also do for for a job, for my um, contract work living, it takes away at least some of those incentives for the trolls and the abuse. It's not; it's obviously not a catch-all in any way, but if you have a, a little community of 20 people, even 10 people, you know, you and some of your friends, it is much less appetizing to try and join that and start wrecking stuff versus... Mastodon.social, which the last time I looked has about 300,000 people. Yeah. And so For sure. that's that's one of the built-in advantages from a community organization, from a moderation standpoint, is if you keep that stuff small, you're gonna you you will it, you're more likely to run into those things. I'm saying this wrong. You're much less likely to run into some of those yeah. big spam common problems. The other thing, the other advantage here is, you know, we're talking about moderation and being able to pay people to moderate, but you know, there have been those stories flying around lately where people who do moderate content for some of these large networks have have come out, and that that is a it's an awful job. Oh yeah. I mean, even if you have great moderation tools and or a team that you're working with or whatever, like the stuff that people need to keep off of these networks is awful. And if it's your job to do that day in and day out to watch for that stuff, analyze it, I mean, you can't just look at it and like hit a button. Well, I. I can't speak too much to that. I haven't done it. But your job is to analyze that content and decide whether it can stay on the network. Like that, 
that's no small task. I've I've had to do that for some small communities, and that you have to think about it. You have to see it, mm. you know. And these people go through they they develop awful mental health problems, and that's yeah. that's something. If 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 having like little smaller pockets of communities and and making you know abuse less attractive to at least some of these players, and also helps people avoid having to do that work, I'm I'm definitely all for it. <laughs> if if that yeah. can help oh, at all, for sure. Oh, for sure. I I think the um you make a good point about moderated burnout and um there was a because I I you know again naivety and all that when we learn these things. Um, somehow in, in interesting ways. But I actually became aware of that. There was an episode of a short-lived TV show recently, CSI Cyber, which whilst some of the show concepts sort of stretched reality, there was a heavy basis in fact for a lot of what they did. And there was one particular episode where they, that they actually looked at uh, a moderator for a social network um, that essentially was suffering from some severe uh, mental health problems because of all the stuff that they were subjected to desensitizing them to a bunch of stuff and they kind of went off the rails a bit and I did a bit of research into that and it's a real thing it's a real problem and it's the sort of thing that you don't think about you just think oh click yeah this is offensive and you don't think about the person on the other end who actually has to look at this but not just this one you found the hundreds and hundreds or thousands of others that they were also asked to look at and they have to look at it make a decision and then move on to the next photo and you know it's 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 a punishing job for any human to have to do. It's bad enough that people would post things that are horrible, but it's it's worse to think that all that's funneled then into a handful of people to to assess and say if they're right or wrong. But in any case, that's the multi-user instance thing. If you want to set up your own moderation, I think is a stressful thing. And one of the advantages of a single-user instance is that technically there's no moderation to worry about, unless you're counting your own self-moderation. Because I yep. mean, technically, I guess muting and blocking is technically moderation, but you're, you're moderating what you see, and that's and that's okay. I think people are okay with that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of if you are, do want to set up your own instance and have that control versus joining another instance. You know, I, I would say that if you if you want to have no hassle, just join an existing instance and support them. If you want to set up your own instance and have air quotes control, because there's a limit of how much control you really have anyway. <laughs> um, you know, then I would suggest start at a single user instance because taking on a multi user instance is a whole bag of extra pain you better really want it i think is the message there is also there can be also a little bit of help and i'm i'm starting to see some similarities to like the early days of of blogging which i kind of came up through and and got my part time and then my full job through and you know in the very early days it was very similar like there were very few services that you could use to start up a blog you could run some of your own software and it was clunky to set up and it was a lot of maintenance and Spam became a thing, and we never really had great tools for that early on. But I think there are some small improvements happening in this realm of ActivityPub and sort of this open social publishing network. And I think one of them would be these uh, managed hosting companies that are popping up, like Mast.hosts. Have you seen them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, quite right, yes. So there and, – and of course, there's now there's a financial – uh, uh, component here because of, of course they're not free. They're businesses, but mass.host, I think it's uh seven or eight, uh, euro a month. Uh, cause I believe they're, they're hosted over there somewhere. I'm in the U S in Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. I think it works yep. out to about eight bucks a month. I, I spun one up because I'm playing around with an idea for a, a Mastodon instance, but they, 
when I say manage, it's it's everything. They do the updates for you. You give them a domain name. You have to toss in a couple mm-hmm. settings in your domain name provider. So as long as you have this experience or these um you know this this knowledge of how to adjust these settings, you can get a single user instance pretty easily for what I would say is somewhat cheap. Not not that everybody can afford it, but somewhat cheap considering what it is. And now you've got a single user instance and you could lock down signups all you want and just say, you know, mm-hmm. this, this isn't the instance for you. And now you can plug into the greater network with a fairly low cost and hopefully deal with uh, far fewer of those moderation problems. Mm, exactly. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I had, that had slipped my mind. And, and I do think that um, I think Pluroma is going to start pushing their own um, hosted options as well, self-host. Um, like you can pay them and they'll, they'll maintain an instance for you and you can be single user, multi-user, whatever you like. Um, and, and that's great because it gives people that aren't technically as, as technically inclined the ability to essentially still own their own experience. And, uh, and in the end, it's not that much more than it would cost me to run mine. I have $15 a year plus the domain. So it's a $15 a year US, you know, the other hosts will probably be a little bit more than that, but you know, it's not significantly more, but, um, in, in any case, um, I think, uh, we should probably talk a little bit more about the apps because we touched a little bit on them and, it's been a while since I since I sort of went through the list, and there's much more now than there was, which is good. Um, so, just starting on iOS, um, so the three that I've most frequently used, and the funny thing is, there's a lot more than this, uh, but these are the ones I come to the most. So, there's Toot exclamation mark, which is the one I mentioned before um, from Dag Agron, uh, Amarok, uh, which is done by I think his handle is like Erasure Boy or something like that. And uh, Mast, which is done by um, uh, his his handles are like JPEG at I think it's Mastodon Technology or something like that, and that's uh, mm-hmm. yes. So those are the three that that I I tend to switch between, and I and I keep coming back to Toot just because I love the the user interface and I love how it backfills the Toots and it gives you the ability to fill in the timeline um, in either direction, which is really nice. So if there's a gap, you can like scroll up and the and it'll fill upwards. You scroll down, it'll fill down. Um, which is which is a feature that none of the others seem to do very well, which is great. But uh, do you have any other ones on iOS that you've played with? So I've I bounced between Mast and Toot. Uh, I also found one called Toot Don, like Mastodon Toot Don. And one of the unique things I think it does is uh, I think it probably has the most like traditional sort of social networking design to it. Like it feels like it could easily turn into a Twitter app if you if uh, the developer wanted it to, and one of the unique things it does, I haven't used it in a little while, but it has a, a dedicated tab, I believe, um, just for like watching hashtags. And I think okay. like looking at, you know, maybe the most popular hashtags, I think either on your local and or public timelines, I, I can't remember, but it, it builds in some of that idea of uh, sort of looking at what is, you know, this bubble that I have talking about right now, what hashtags are they, are they using? You know, what, what are people putting into their toots to help them get found? Cause that's why you would use a, a hashtag generally. Right. And yep. I think that's, that's a really useful tool. And I also really love that apps are in this space right now where it feels to me again, coming up through Twitter, but I, I, I loathe that place now, but hmm. I remember the very early days of, of those early apps where they were inventing the innovative stuff. I remember Twitterific, I think invented the at in the first place. Like they rem- I, I'm pretty sure it was Twitterific that invented the concept of at username to get that person's attention. 
And that was really fun. Like you have this base foundational protocol and then these apps are building all this really interesting, clever, unique stuff on top of it. And then the protocol decides to adopt it because people start using it. You know, the at obvious, the at and the hashtag obviously became canon, basically. Yeah. Uh, I feel ki- we're kind of like in that place with, with Mastodon apps right now. Like they have these unique interfaces. They do certain things in different ways and you can find something that fits the way you want to work a little bit better. And I really enjoy that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me too. And I think that it, it, it could be moving a little bit faster. I would have liked it to. But some of the bigger names that have sort of dipped their toes in the water from the Twitter side. Um, so, for example, Sean uh, Heber, I think it is, from um, uh, TapBots, I think. I oh, yeah. If he's TapBots or Twitter. But in any case, he was sort of dipping his toe in the Fediverse there for a while. And he was having a play, but he never actually went ahead. And um, and as far as I know, anyway, they certainly haven't released anything I'm aware of. I was really hoping that they released something like that, but un- like for, for the Fediverse, but they haven't yet. So I think that as it gets more momentum and there's more business opportunity and hopefully some of those bridges between the, the FOSS purists uh, and, the, um, you know, and the commercial software developers can sort of be bridged a little bit better and um, a little bit more cooperation and we can get something moving a bit more quickly. Um, on the Mac side, I've been frustrated uh, because everything until very recently was an Electron app, which <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I can't... I, yeah, like I understand, and I don't want to sound like I'm some kind of a, a, a purist, or a, and that anyone that develops electron apps, you know, is like, oh, they're just not, they're not, they're not, they're not really an app, you know. It's like, well, well, they are. It's just that they have certain restrictions and limitations that make them somewhat annoying to use um, on on a Mac. But that doesn't mean they're unusable. It's just that not not as, not as smooth as they could be. So in any case, I start out with using Whalebird, which is an electron app. Um, oh, and yep. Then Yep, which is which is not too bad. Uh, I don't mind it. Uh, it had some interesting uh, multi-account issues, which eventually they sorted, which is great. Um, Hyperspace, I tried more recently, another Electron app. Um, again, not too bad. Uh, and the newest one I've come across is one called The Desk, which I've huh. I sort of started playing with. But I'll be honest, it came out around the same kind of time as Masternaut. And Masternaut, as far as I'm aware, is the first and only... Um, native Mac application for uh, the Fediverse. Yes, as far as I know too, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think his name's Bruno Felipe, I think, I'm trying to remember, um, the developer for Masternaut. And um, it did have a couple of interesting uh, bugs in it that he squashed. There's a few more I'm waiting on the next update. Um, he's also working at integrating Notification Center properly and share sheet extensions and a few other things that you get when you have a native app that you can do with a native app that you can't do with Electron, for example. Um, and that's the stuff I'm looking for is uh, that deeper integration into the operating system to give me more flexibility. Because what I want to be able to do is I want to be able to easily share um, from the native app, from a share sheet extension, um, if I'm on a web page on Safari, to be able to, to share that to, to, to Mastodon without having to jump through a, do- a few dozen hoops, um, which is currently quite difficult to do um in a, and there may be other ways i'm not aware of but yeah you're absolutely right i mean that that's one of the the core benefits of of native apps and i've i don't know if electron apps can get there and their their users and developers just aren't doing it but like you had mentioned like a native app integrates with the share sheet you know it's it's just a couple clicks to share something rather than like you know it just creates a lot of friction when they're when they're not and I, I'm the same. I, I recently discovered Mastonaut, and it's it is a very solid 
very Mac, uh, Mac like app for Mastodon. And that, that feels really great to me. And you're right. The developer has been iterating on it pretty well. They added, you know, at mentions and support for a lot of the core features. I don't know if you could do things like polls yet, but that one, I, I would, if you're on a Mac, I would definitely take a look at, keep your eye on, uh, cause that's, I bought that almost right away after looking at it in the store. It just, it's great. Um, and in terms of like growing support and like, you know, trying to grow the user base, which will create more of an incentive for more people to work on these projects, to build apps, whether they're FOSS or paid apps, whatever, I'm, I'm hoping to try and get more, I'm hoping to see more support from some of the larger players out there. And one thing I've, I've been very happy to see is Apple actually featuring Mastodon apps a few times over the last year or so, which, which actually kind of surprised me, but they've done it a few times. Hmm. Mast got featured. One of the really big recent uh, updates for Mast, it got featured in, and I'm talking like front page on the iPhone under like our favorite new apps or something like that. They, yeah. They've posted, uh, you know, their roundups of like certain types of workflows, like here's how to publish online or here's how to write, you know, quick pieces out on social media. And they would list Mastodon as one of your options. And so they list, you know, a couple apps for Mastodon. And there's a utility called Linky on iOS that mm. basically makes it really easy to share links on social networks. And the, the t- name of the app is Linky for Twitter and Mastodon. And Apple's featured that mm-hmm. a few times, actually. So I hope, I hope little mentions like that, you know, it's all about raising awareness, right? It's why advertising still exists as much as I hate it many times and in many ways. Like these, you know, these things can... Once you get those words out there in front of people, every little bit can help. Oh, absolutely right. And um, and Linky is a great... I'm glad you brought that up as well because that's not technically um, like a Mastodon app or a Fediverse app, but it allows you to post links to the Fediverse. So technically it kind of is, even though it's not a client for reading it. Anyway, so on Android, um, Tusky, Subway, Tutor, and Fedalab are the ones that are, I believe, the most popular. And uh, another one that I think is worth mentioning, which is Linux, uh, which is Linux uh, only, I believe, is uh, is one called Toodle. In particular, I'd have to say we're on iOS, Mast has definitely been the most uh, ambitious in terms of things that it's tried. Uh, so the developer for Mast has tried all sorts of things like a, a scrolling thumb wheel to go through the timeline, which is a bit odd to get used to, but it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I do want, want to start uh, sort of move on a little bit and... and uh, Talk a little bit about PixelFed because we've sort of touched a little bit on this, but I really want to just go into this a little bit because I've been excited about PixelFed for at least a year. And I've even went so far as setting up my own instance because, you know, oh, wow. that, shouldn't surpri- that, that shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, come on, I've set up my master and I've set up Pluromo. So no one is shocked, probably, yeah. That's how you do. That's just how I roll because <laughs> I'm crazy and I just set up my own instance. But, um, so I set it up a while ago and I knew that it didn't support Federation at the time. But I didn't mind because I wanted to do Instagram, but I hate Facebook with a, with a, with a growing passion. So... It seemed like the answer. So I got a domain, chigi.xyz. It was cheap. Mm. Does the job. And um, I stood that up and I posted like six or seven photos. But then I realized that there's no network effect because right now without federation support, well, at that time, there was no federation support. um, All I could do was link to it. So Mm -hmm. I would create a post, create a link, post that on Mastodon. (laughs) That's what I did um, because federation didn't work. So about... Oh, nine months ago, maybe something like that. 
they introduced the ability for uh, Mastodon and Pleroma users to follow pixel-fed instances. Mm-hmm. So the activity pub would work in one direction only. And that's an important that's an important distinction because only this week, literally only two or three days ago, they Dan Sup, the developer, uh, he actually then has enabled support for Mastodon accounts in the other direction. So now you're in PixelFed, you have a PixelFed instance, you can now follow a Mastodon account from PixelFed. So Mastodon and PixelFed will now actually interfederate. So they'll actually federate as you'd expect out of the box. Hmm. And okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that, that that's really interesting. I kind of like that idea and I like the way that Dan's done it and he said that he'll only pull down posts that are picture posts. So PixelFed will only show pictures from Masson. So if you type in, in Masson, hey, um, just landed in LA, whatever, which is the opening line of Pleroma, but never mind. Um, because <laughs> so, you know, when you when you open a Pleroma instance, it's uh, the the suggested text it uh, says for your for your post is uh, just landed in LA. Um, it's an odd one, but okay. It is. It, it Pleroma's got some weird little touches like that, but anyhow, it's kind of like a running gag. But never mind. Um, so uh, when you type something like that in there, PixelFed won't pull that down because there's no photo uh, as part of it. It's just text, so it doesn't care. That's really interesting. Um, which I think is. Yeah, which I think is which I think is a good choice because if you're trying to keep pixel fed for photos, then that makes sense intuitively. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I go to pixel fed, I'm looking at photos. Like we said before, context sensitive. You know, that's what I'm there to do. Makes sense. But the thing that's frustrating though is that, and I know, and and I know that Dan is, as I've said before previously, he has a full time job. Um, plus, he's doing this on his spare time. He doesn't have the sort of budget that that um, Eugene has got. He's doing this. Um, because he he loves it and he believes in it, but the reality is, it's getting that federation working. It's like that's a hard slog, and he doesn't have any real help or well, not much help. And so right now, PixelFed doesn't federate with itself, which sounds crazy. But so, but but that's that's where we're at right now. So right now, if I want to go to PixelFed.social, I can't follow a PixelFed social account from my Chigi.xyz PixelFed instance. I can't follow it, yep. and they can't follow me. Software is hard. So that's frustrating. It is hard. So Software is hard. There w- it is. And so <clears throat> I'm looking forward to Interpixel Fed um, Federation working. Uh, he said publicly a few days ago that he will now um, work on getting Pleroma. So Pixel Fed will then be able to follow people from Pleroma, which is great. Um, but it's really the inter the inter instance that I'm most interested in. So when that happens, I think then it'll have the ability to take off because each of the instances can then talk to each other yes. without relying on Mastodon or Pleroma to prop it up essentially, which is what it currently does. Right. And I, I think that's really powerful because I've, I've met people who are like, I, I really enjoy, uh, just the other day I met someone who's like, I really um, enjoy you know X, Y, and Z people on Twitter, but I don't have a Twitter account and I don't want to visit Twitter to see their stuff. So I feel like I'm kind of missing out and we were trying to find a solution for that. And Mm. I think they use a feed reader like Feedly or something. And Feedly is one of these, you know, they made a business out of being a feed reader and it is a product. I think it's, it's very good. One of their features is you can follow people from Twitter in the Feedly newsreader. Like you just have to toss in a username and I don't know exactly how they're scraping the data because I know Twitter got rid of like their RSS feeds and such, but Mm. that's one of their, their features. And so I like this concept of I don't want to have an account on whatever service that is, but I still like that person on it. I wish there was a way I could view their stuff. So you don't have to sign up for PixelFed 
if you're on Mastodon, but you love photography, you can, you can still get those photos from that artist that you love or whoever. And it's a great concept. I, th- I think it's one of the really powerful things of the Fediverse and, and, and the activity pub infrastructure. That's, uh, I think, I think you're totally right. Once PixelFed gets that fully fleshed out, it will, uh, it'll be powerful. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting point as well regarding Instagram versus Facebook versus Twitter. And that's sort of why I care so much about PixelFed is because I've observed that sort of that relationship with... So, people will have an account on all three. What do you post to where? And it's like right now... I've noticed that there's been a bit of a jump or a drain or switch away. A lot of the people that I traditionally followed on Twitter are now more active on Instagram mm-hmm. than they ha- than they are on Twitter anymore. And the interactions on Instagram are almost overwhelmingly positive. Here's a photo. I'm doing something. It's the sunset. It's my kids playing. It's the dog chasing a ball. It's wh- whatever it is, something, something personal, something nice, something relatable. Um, it's like it's hard to sort of like, have a dump on that and say, geez, <laughs> great ball or yeah. know, sunset looks horrible. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, <laughs> hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, interesting. Whereas on, yeah, whereas on Twitter, it's like um, at the beach and there'll be some comments saying, well, geez, I hope I like getting sand and everything. And it's like, <laughs> um, what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just, it seems, it seems to me like the, for some reason, because maybe it's just the language problem, you know, when, when I write down, I'm having a nice day, as opposed to I take a photo of it's a nice day outside, we just relate to the photo of the day outside being very nice and we enjoy that, as opposed to I'm having a nice day and then us reflecting on how we're not having a nice day <laughs> or something. It seems to me like um, photo sharing seems to be far more of a positive uh, interesting activity than just just t- t- typing a few sentences of frustration or or whatever. Even if it's positive, it doesn't matter. It seems to get negative on Twitter. So I'm looking forward to PixelFed to be an option to do that and have that experience without having to deal with the fact that it's owned by Facebook, that they're gaming the timeline, and that they're using me as a product and all of the problems uh, with privacy that Facebook have. So that's one of the reasons I am so excited about what Dan is doing and why I really, really want him to keep working on it and why I think I think there are a lot of people in the Fediverse that, that have a similar opinion about PixelFed and it's got a lot of traction and, and I really do sincerely hope it takes off and succeeds because I want to see it succeed. You know, on that point, uh, I am not at all affiliated with Dan, but I completely agree. I love PixelFed and I'd love to see them uh, improve. So this is not like a sponsored mention or whatever, but yeah, he's at Dan Sup. Uh, I think he's at Mastodon.social. I forget where his personal account yes. is, but his Patreon yeah, is. is Dan Sup, D-A-N-S-U-P. So if you want to support him, if you want to learn more about PixelFed, you can go to PixelFed.org and I highly encourage it. I love the service. I have an account myself and I, I completely agree. Uh, we We are visual creatures. I think uh, I think Facebook saw that in very early days when Instagram first started exploding and and before Facebook bought it and mm-hmm. I mean you could even look to Facebook how did you ever see those early comparisons I don't see them float around anymore but they there was a, a a graph sort of of the volume of photos that Facebook has in comparison to previous services like Flickr and the Library of Congress. Mm. 
it was yeah i think uh, the, mm. the one that i saw was like a it was like a pink box and far far down in the lower left corner way 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 down there was a tiny little like like reddish box and that was like flicker and then a tiny tiny little box in there was a library of congress previously those two things were the largest bodies of photos and this is I mean, this has to have been back around like 2014, 2013 or something when I saw this graph. Like mm. Facebook, before they got crazy with Instagram, like was already people sharing photos was by far, by light years, by thousands and thousands of times over any other type of post type. That was what people mm-hmm. shared. And so, yeah, I, photos are powerful and um, I, I really do hope uh, we could find some way to support Dan better and whoever else is working on pixel fed. I haven't, I haven't looked at the rest of the team. I don't know if he's the only contributor to it because I do hear him talk about like, we, like we finished, you know, X, Y, and Z feature. We're almost done with a, you know, new whatever. Um, so I hope, I, I think there's at least a few other people working on the project. Yeah, there are. There are other people contributing to the code base and, um, and he does uh, try and process those, uh, the pull requests as they come in. Uh, you do see it from time to time, but there's also no question that he is definitely driving it, setting the t- setting the direction, and doing the the bulk of the programming. Uh, I think that um, I think that uh, just to echo your statement, um, I, I think if anyone does want to uh, see Pixel Fed or like a, a genuine Instagram alternative, because to be honest, there there doesn't seem to be any Fediverse compliance, like ActivityPub compliant or Web Mention compliant, um, you know, decent equivalents to. Uh, to Instagram, and so that's one of the reasons I really want to succeed. So if you if you can support uh, to Dan and uh, and what he's trying to do with PixelFed, then I'd, I'd strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, and at least, uh, if nothing else, just go and check it out and see if it's if it's for you. So I want to move on um, if we can. There's a couple more things I want to talk about before we wrap up, and uh, I guess the next one is uh, one of the attractions of the Fediverse is the idea that you should be able to migrate uh, between instances. And I sort of so let's say you start out on like like we both did uh, on Mastodon dot social, and then I went off and started my own instance, and you went off to uh, to Toot Cafe, uh, I think it is, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and so how easy that is, and why that it's problematic, and um, so I'll just go quickly through um, sort of like um, from from worst to best. So uh, f- first of all, um, Pleroma is quite possibly. Um, only slightly the most difficult uh, in order to do that. So you can migrate your your follows, you can migrate your mutes and blocks, and in other words, you can export them and then re-import them in a new instance. Um, uh, but that's it. You can't actually, you can't export your posts and import them and start again on another instance, uh, and, and nor can you do that on Mastodon. Uh, the only other thing you can do on Mastodon you can't do on Pleroma is you can actually, there's an embedded switch, like a, a feature you can actually say in Mastodon in your user account settings, hey, I've gone to this instance and it will then direct people to that uh, to that new account on this new instance, which you don't currently have in Pleroma. You could, the way I handled that is you just put that in the text of your description, like inactive, I've moved to this account. Yeah. But whereas with Mastodon, it's automatic. Um, like it has that functionality to automatically redirect you, which is great. But there's still no way to migrate your posts. And I thought, well, well, why is this the case? And it's because of the way in which they index the, the identifier with your instance. 
So the, the, the connection between the time and the date of your post and the identifier on that specific instance is a unique combination. And pulling that out of one instance and moving it to another is problematic because if you replicate that, the same instance technically will exist on both instances but have different ID numbers, even if the time and date and content is the same. And there's a whole bunch of ways you could deal with that. But for whatever reason, the developers for Mastodon and Plurima just decided, you know what, um, we're not dealing with that right now. Um, and we're going to leave that in a too hard basket for the minute. So the reason I sort of wanted to mention this is because sometimes instances will, will go away. You want to change instances for a different reason. You want to stand up your own single user instance or something, and you want to take all your posts with you right now between Mastodon and Plurium, you, you you can't, which is annoying. Yeah, it's, it's certainly tough. And it's something that I've been asking uh, mostly Eugen about uh, especially because I, I ran into this very problem switching uh, switching instances. And I can't speak to the technical difficulty behind it, not, not being a developer and not actually looking at any of the project code. But from a community management standpoint, I can see some cases both for and against. So I, I can't imagine it's been an easy discussion from many of the angles that they have to deal with. So like as an end user, when I moved, of course I wanted to move, bring... I mainly wanted my follows and, and followers to remain the same. You can bring along, at least on Mastodon, you can bring along the people that you follow, the people you're interested in, but anybody who follows you, that relationship gets broken and they have to refollow you manually, you know, in the, in the new place. And yeah. that, that really bummed me out. And, you know, I was asking them for that for a while because I feel like that's, you know, I made those relationships. I'd like them to stay even if I move somewhere, you know, and I think I used various analogies like in the real world, you know, even if I move to a different address, like the people I know still know me and et cetera, you know, not, not every analogy holds up perfectly. But mm. from an abuse standpoint, I can certainly see problems because, yeah. you know, spam accounts that start you know, spam following tons of people, post tons of awful, awful content. And now they, you know, they know that they're about to get struck down or blocked or, or kicked off. You know, they can just up and export everything or do whatever the, the account, you know, authorization handoff would be. And they move everything over to the new place and it all stays there. They can keep harassing whoever from a brand new domain. So I, I can see, I can absolutely see some of the, the, um, the darker sides of, of enabling a feature like this. I, I can't imagine it's an easy discussion or, or or problem to solve, and I also haven't heard much about it since, you know, the discussion has come around a, a couple of times, but I really haven't seen it crop up uh, uh, recently. So, no, maybe they're focusing on some other priorities right now. I think that they just keep kicking the can down the road, um, as far as I can tell. Uh, but the the thing is between Mastodon and um, Pleroma, the way that they're architected for whatever reason. Um, they've just chosen not to deal with that. But the thing that I find interesting, and I haven't had a chance to test this, but um, I did stand up an account on MissKey a while back and had a play with it. And at some point since I last played with it and a few days ago when I just, you know, just in, just a little bit of a check-in before we, we, we um, have a chat about it. And I was surprised to find that they've added sometime, in the, the, however last long it's been, a year or so, whatever, you can now actually import and export notes. Uh, that's what they call um, toots um, or in Pleroma, it's just a post. Um, 
or technically, if you want to go on the name of the button, it's a it's a submit. But anyway, um, it's, <laughs> but um, you know, because I because I on it says toot, and then in, on uh, Plurium it says submit. But anyway, yes, yeah, so here have a look at my submit. Anyway, um, so yeah, so so notes is what they call it, and um, you can import and export notes. But I haven't tried it, um, and of course, it can do all the rest of it, and like followers, blocked lists, muted lists. And the auto refollowing thing as well, I think, is actually is also a problem. So I don't think it supports that either for all the same reasons we just talked about. Uh, they also support lists on MissKey, for example, which they don't easily support on the others exactly. Well, they do, but in a different way. Uh, but you can't export and import them. So MissKey seems to be another another step down the road, but still not quite there either. And maybe there needs to be a an agreed correct way of handling user migration for ActivityPub at a standard level. And then each of the services then need to support that. Mm. Um, maybe that's the ultimate answer here. But uh, in any case, it's something to be aware of. And and hence, my advice is always choose your instance carefully. Um, you know, does it is it likely to be around in another twelve months? Is that actually a problem? Because I mean, if it's not a problem, and 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 you're going to set up auto delete on your tweets after a week, then maybe it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, but if you want people to find you and keep finding you, otherwise, if you try and skip hop hop between instances, you'll just lose followers every single time. And if that's a problem to you, then that's a problem. Because I know that when I jumped, I had like 160 followers on the Fediverse in the beginning in my Mastodon account. Um, on, on Mastodon, at engineered, when I was on Engineered Space, originally my Mastodon, when I jumped to Pleroma, I had to change my account name um, and only about 50 or 60 people followed me. And then I had to jump back again for a whole bunch of different reasons. And I think I've got something like 45 followers now <laughs> or something. I haven't looked actually. I should have a look. Yeah, it's it's certainly a, a, a problem that, that could use solving at some point. And your idea of, of having it built at the foundation in, in ActivityPub is is really interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Um, but one thing that I think helps uh, at least a bit with, uh, you know, sort of if you have any unsurety about like, can I join this instance? Is it going to be around? You know, is it is it a decent instance? Is it run by, you know, uh, decent people? Do they have a code of conduct? All the instances, well, most of the instances at least, will will publish that and let you know right up front. But the joinmastodon.org site, the like main, you know, hub, at least user facing hub, if you're interested in Mastodon, thinking about signing up, whatever. I know Eugene and the other people that work on this site, they recently created sort of a directory of, of instances. It's kind of a curated mm. directory. It's not just a free for all. And I don't know what the exactly what the criteria was for it. Are you familiar with this? Uh, I am, and uh, I haven't spent much time looking at the criteria, but I'm aware of the list. So I know it's curated. I know that they talked about setting specific rules that you have to agree to in order to be listed here. So they are proofing this. They are choosing which instances get to show up here. And it's it's also filterable. I'm, I'm looking over it right now just to make sure I'm not talking uh, talking any, telling any lies here. But you know, you can look by language, you can uh, look by uh, uh, categories, you know, general art, journalism, furry, uh, gaming, you know, whatever, whatever you're looking for. And mm -hmm. these instances had to agree to a certain type of criteria. So there's at least some relationship, at least a statement of, of commitment there. You know, I don't imagine anybody who's running like a free for all instance is going to try and get listed in here and then just disappear next week. Um, you know, these are, they're decent sized instances. They have a, a, a good chunk of people and, um, the main Mastodon team has, has put at least some kind of, maybe a stamp is too large of a word on it. Um, 
Yeah. So hopefully that might might help a little bit. And the website is just a little bit, let's say, friendlier and better designed than some of the other like libraries of of instances. Um, it's a little bit easier to to browse. I feel. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it and it definitely helps. And I think that there's definitely progress being made um, in uh, in finding and selecting the right instance uh, for you, which is which is which is really good to see. So. Um, I guess just, yeah, anyway, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. There's one more thing that I did want to talk about on this uh, before we wrap it up. And um, it's a bit of a, I don't know, it, it's a bit of a touchy subject, this one. And mm. uh, it, I wanted to talk about it because it disturbs me a lot and because I I think it's a massive challenge to social networking. Um, and, and I'm talking about Gab. Ooh, yeah. And yeah. And so this has been something that I, you know, it's not like I've been living under a rock, but at the same time, I hear about bits and pieces of this going on around me. And it's something, it's a site that I've never actually been to. And so most of what I know is from secondhand and it's the sort of site that I don't think I ever want to go to, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's not necessarily the point. What's interesting to me is how the open source community and the Fediverse has handled this. That's actually what's interesting to me. So on August, 2016, some guy started a site where people could post whatever they wanted uh, without any censorship, essentially. Um, and they said it was in reaction to mass censorship by social media platforms. It used an upvote downvote system. Eventually, they went to down. They removed the downvoting, so it's just upvoting. And uh, again, I never visited the site, so I can just say what I saw from screenshots. But in any case, there's a link in the show notes if you really care. And the site very quickly sort of became full of like anti-Semitic, neo-Nazi, hate speech, the sorts of things that just. Um, Ugh, just not not pleasant. Yeah. And in in about late 2018, I think their time kind of was up. The domain, I think, got suspended. Uh, they were banned from hosting their site on a whole bunch of different providers. Uh, Stripe, I think, stopped processing their payments. Um, things really sort of fell apart and they developed a plugin called Dissenter, as in um, dissenting... I don't know, dissenter. Anyway, uh, for web browsers that allowed people to comment uh, on any website via that service. Um, and then a few months ago, this is where it becomes relevant to the Fediverse, is a few months ago, they took the Mastodon code base that Eugen had written and they forked it to create their own customized version um, and joined the Fediverse. And I say joined in air quotes because what happened next is kind of interesting. Um, so how much uh, are you aware of what's been happening with Gab? I've I've followed that and what uh from the beginning if I recall the a lot of these people involved with it were kicked off of uh 4chan and 8chan right which are some of the other previous sites that that uh uh champion free speech and some of the most awful stuff that you could ever see people uh publish online and so they have yeah they've got quite a bit of a, a long standing of of doing stuff like this and I followed this Gab instance spin-up, and what I thought was really interesting, and, and this ties back to one of the things that I like about this concept of, of communities that that work with each other and decide to talk to each other like most of the Fediverse has, is many of the instances, uh, their, their admins, the, the people or the teams who run them, talk to each other. They, I know they have at least a Discord, probably like an email list and who knows what else. And there's also a community block list 
that many of these instances use. And so one thing I don't think we've touched on a whole lot is that instances can block each other at the instance level. So if you're on, you know, my.instance.happyplace, you could just completely block mastodon.social if you wanted to. And so none of your users mm. would see anything from mastodon.social just because your admin blocked them for you. You don't have to do that on your own. And as I understand it, most of the instances in, at least on Mastodon, again, because that's where kind of my personal focus is, I can't speak for like Pluroma and others, uh, mm. they basically just said, yeah, we're we're not having this. The, that These people are just here to destroy and be angry and say terrible things. And so most of them blocked Gab almost immediately. Yes. And so it's this really odd situation now where technically speaking, I I regret to say if this is correct that Gab almost instantly became the largest instance because they are unfortunately a very, very large community and website. But mm. it's also basically blocked by the majority of the rest of the Fediverse. And so yeah. It, yeah, it's a very odd situation to have been following, especially from the way communities work in this particular aspect. Yeah, it has been interesting. And the interesting part of it is that, um, so there's, there's there's two levels of, um, I should say, um, sort of ring fencing, maybe is the right way of saying. It. I mean, we're blocking it, but we're essentially, all of the server administrators, or, or not all of them, but certainly the vast majority have got that block list and have just decided, you know what, I'm blocking Gab because you know, they, they don't like them, they don't like what they stand for. Um, and for the most part, they've been penned off into a corner of the Fediverse. And yes, you, you know, if you have an instance where there is where they're not blocked, you can, of course, you know, follow people on their instance. And, you know, if you want to, then that's an option. But that decision was made by the server administrators. And, and it's like, well, they're running and their position is I don't want someone to pull down a, a copy of something horrific, which then will come onto my local timeline, which could then end up being moderated, which is then going to be more work for me. And therefore, um, you know, that I'm trying to save myself that frustration and that extra work. Other, It could also, the other side of it is simply just on principles. Like I don't believe in anything that Gab do, therefore that's it. I don't care if any of my, if any of my users don't like it, they can go join another instance, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that's the equivalent of Twitter sort of like saying, well, you're not allowed to post um, cat pictures anymore, you know, because we said so. The difference in the Fediverse is that you have a choice. You can go to a different, um, you can go and set up your own if you want to. You can go and join the Gab instance if you want to, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's like that's that choice. But watching what all of the people, the vast majority, certainly that I've, I've observed, have basically said, nope, that's it. You're done. You're blocked. And it's like, I kind of like that. I like that that we collectively have agreed that this is not a good thing and therefore we can do this as opposed to being at the mercy of what a board of people um, at Twitter might decide or not decide. Exactly. I think that's one of the most powerful aspects of this community management because I also should mention that you as a user can also block entire instances if you want to. Yes. It's not only up to your admin. So let's say you're on an instance that has a decent code of conduct, but your admin, you know, uh, has decided for whatever reason not to block something like Gab, but you don't want to leave just yet. Maybe uh, you've built up a lot of community there or it's it's too much work, whatever your reasoning might be, you yourself could just go and block Gab at, at your level, at your personal user level. So everybody has, you know, a bit of power and, and choice here. And I think that's incredibly powerful, 
not to keep banging the same drum, but again, from a community management standpoint, and I, I think it also much better reflects how we work in the real world. Because like you said, there isn't some board of directors who are deciding which communities I get to talk to in in general. Um, you know, I and my neighborhood and my family get to decide who we talk to and who we try to build things with and what people we let enter our home. I think it much better fits the way we work as as people and communities. And I think that's something very, very powerful. And I, I think Mastodon and, and other Fediverse services could probably use some better messaging around these concepts because they're they're kind of hard to wrap your head around and like explain to other people. But mm. I see it happen often that when people get it, when it starts clicking, it, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, w- I was really happy to see the response. Uh, I was really bummed out to see some of the news just completely misunderstand what's going on. Because I saw these headlines of like, you know, Nazis are now the largest Mastodon community. And it's like, oh, no, you're this just went in the totally wrong direction of how this stuff is. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it, that, that's sort of, um, but that's also a bit clickbaity. And it depends on how you want to think about things. But, um, but I guess one of the things that I found interesting, though, is if we just go beyond that, that part of the discussion, which is server admins and blocking and individuals in the, within their own uh, user accounts, blocking Gab or, or anyone else or anything else for that matter. What has been, I think, unique, or at least maybe not unique in, in the fullness of time, but certainly for the moment, it's the first instance I'm aware of, where developers of software decided that they disliked Gab so much that they would then take that matter into their own hands. And they would say, you know what, I'm going to block that in my app because I don't want anyone mm. in my app seeing anything from Gab. And that took it to a different place that I'd never seen. And it's interesting because what's now happened is that some of these apps that were considered to be either um, open source or FOSS, despite the fact that some of them were paid and hence and don't have all of their um, code base fully published and therefore technically aren't FOSS, but because they're not entirely FOSS, but they're connecting to something like Plomer or Masson that is considered to be FOSS, therefore they are FOSS by association or something. I'm not entirely sure how that works in people's minds, but... In any case, those developers started to get flooded with one-star reviews in the in the app store mm-hmm. um, saying, how dare you take away my right to choose? It's like, well, I'm never, you know, you know you're a this, that, and what have you. Um, not particularly pleasant either. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's like, I bought this app and it's not, it's not truly open source and, you know, you can't tell me how to use it because if we go back to Storman's first one, um, first first uh, guiding principle was that it has to be um, anyone can use the app for whatever they choose. And so by taking that away, you're taking away that choice. Therefore, you're not FOSS. Um, you're, not, you're not living up to what Stallman wanted you to do. Therefore, you know, it's a problem. And it's, it's interesting because what it means is that, okay, so FOSS will say it needs to be available for anyone to modify. Well, that's exactly what Gab did. Now, if I'm producing um, software and open sourcing as a client, if I choose to then exclude a specific instance in the code, someone else can just fork my code and they can go and take that that out if they want to. Hmm, right. So, shrug, what's the problem? I don't get it. Yeah, this this gets a little bit complicated. As far as I know, uh, the apps, most of the apps we've talked about, or at least the ones I'm familiar with, which would be Toot, uh, uh, Mast. Um, I believe Tootdon as well, and also Mastonaut. They're I don't think they're they're pitching themselves at all as like open source apps. I think they're 
following, I guess we can call it the traditional app publishing method. It's been over, just over 10 years now of, um, uh, uh, being they're they're paid for apps from a singular creator or, or company and they decide what their app can do. And we can either, you know, take it or leave it. We can try and get a refund. You know, it, it's in that sort of capitalist system with the way those those things work. But I think the core thing you're talking about here, I, I think we are in a unique situation because I've never seen this before. So like I've been trying to think of an analogy and the closest one I can think of is Reddit because Reddit was mm. has previously been the place for some of the worst communities on the internet. I mean, as, as I remember it, I'm pretty sure people who got kicked off of Reddit spawned 4chan and people who got kicked off of 4chan mm. spawned 8chan. You know, and we're talking about some mm. of the worst of the worst content and hate and terrible stuff out there. I don't mm -hmm. remember a case like this where like a private app said, you know what, I'm, I'm blocking certain parts of a community because these go against my, my morals, my beliefs, you mm -hmm. know, or, or a code of yeah. conduct or whatever that I want to follow as a developer, let's say, you know, personally, I, I kind of like that they did that because the whole concept of these things being platforms, you know, activity pub is a platform upon which Pleroma yeah. and Masson and, and Pixelfed are built. You know, these are platforms upon platforms and we have a choice on where we want to go. And I think that can work both for and against us. But in this situation, I think it largely works for me and the people who I hope hold my same morals of not wanting that hate around and not wanting to support it. And so those developers made that choice and the people who are not happy with that choice can find another solution. Mm, exactly right. Whether it's open source or private or or not, you know, they we've got options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's all about options. And so ultimately, there's nothing stopping those people, for example, from using a web interface and not using the app if they really, really want to, you know, follow someone who is who is chosen to go onto uh, onto the Gab version of the Fediverse, for example. Uh, but in the end, just to, just a, a minor point to circle back on is that Mast was actually open sourced a bit over a year, about a year ago, I think it was late last year. Oh, really? So, um, yeah, it was. Yeah. And you can actually look at it on GitHub. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. But the other ones, you're absolutely right. The other ones are not open source. Ultimately, just to wrap this up a bit is your experience on the Fediverse, I think, is just going to vary differently depending upon what instance you join and obviously the same rule as anywhere else who you would choose to engage with and having that choice i think is what makes it so great absolutely i i completely agree this is a lot of uncharted territory in many ways i mean social media itself is still pretty young but i love the fact that at the end of the day we the community are get to explore these questions and these problems and set our goals and work towards solving them rather than you know, some capitalist board of directors who don't have our best intentions at heart. Absolutely. All righty. Well, if you'd want to talk more about this, uh, you can reach me on the Fediverse at chigi at engineer.space. Um, you can find uh, pragmatic at engineer.network or you can follow engineered underscore net on Twitter. Yes, it's still there to see show specific announcements. <laughs> if you're enjoying pragmatic and you want to support the show, you can via Patreon at patreon.com slash John Chigi or one word uh, with a thank you to all of our patrons and a special thank you to our silver producers, Carsten Hansen, John Whitlow, Joseph Antonio and Kevin Kosh. And an extra special thank you to our gold producer, known only as R. Patron rewards include a named thank you on the website, a named thank you at the end of episodes, 
access to raw detailed show notes, as well as ad-free, high-quality releases of every episode. So if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, there's lots of great rewards. And beyond that, it's all really, really appreciated. Of course, there's other ways you can help as well by leaving a rating or a review on iTunes, favoriting the episode in your podcast player app, or sharing the episode or the show with your friends or via social. Uh, Fediverse or not, it's all good. Uh, all of these things will help other people to find the show and uh, make, can make a huge difference too. Uh, so if people would like to get in touch with you, Dave, what's the best way for them to go about that? So I can be found at Chartier, C-H-A-R-T-I-E-R, at toot.cafe. Uh, I also still am on Twitter because for various aspects of, of work, it is still useful. So I'm just at Chartier there or my website, chartier.land, and my blog is finertech.com. Excellent. And I've been following Finer Tech for years. It's some good stuff. Make sure you check it out. Um, so just really thank you so much for making the time to come on the show and talking through this stuff. It's, um, it's been a blast, and uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. I'm so glad more people are talking about this. The more, the better. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. Thanks, everybody. 